Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. Welcome to the mansion on the hill. This is the home of Terry's mysterious moments. Stories of oddness, of weirdness, of nature gone strange. This is season four. We thank you for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoy it. Witch Trials Throughout the ages, mankind has looked upon people who are different, who are loners, who aren't necessarily a part of their societies, and who, quite honestly, frighten them as people to be avoided, and in many cases, to be run out, to be hunted, to be killed. Fear of demonic practices, fear of curses, often led the unbridled panic to rid the good people of the bad people. And in the annals of history, mankind has been wickedly ingenious in crafting positively inhuman methods of inflicting torture and death on their fellow humans in the name of good. Of course, not all killings in the name of good, in regards to our subject tonight, were wholly related to witchcraft and the practice thereof. Sometimes it was simply a matter of greed. Neighbors who coveted their neighbor's property could and would level charges of unholy practices done by the neighbor. Sometimes all it took was the knowledge of natural healing methods or of medicinal herbs and potions and of medical ability that could get a person accused as a witch. Other times, all it took was a woman, or a man I presume, who was unliked by others in the community and the accusations would fly. In some cases, children were the accusers. I'm not sure if they were using it as a game or if it was an offensive measure used by the children against adults who had publicly reprimanded them in the past. And I'm not sure the children realized the mortality of their accusations. Frequently, the solution to rid the community of the evil was death. Hanging, burning at the stake, beheading, drowning, and being broken on any number of vicious torture machines, along with being pressed, that's lying under a board with an increasing weight of stones being placed on it thus squeezing the breath out of your lungs until you expire, and that was not a pleasant way to go, I'd wager. Most of us are aware of the Salem Witch Trials, the blight of American history. For my wife, they have special meaning as one of the accused and executed was an ancestor of hers, one Margaret Scott. Between February of 1692 and May of 1693, more than 200 people were accused, 30 were found guilty, 19 of whom were executed by hanging. There was 14 women and 5 men. One other man, Giles Corey, was pressed to death for refusing to plead, and at least 5 people died in jail. The episode is one of colonial America's most notorious cases of mass hysteria. It was not unique, but it was an American example of the much broader phenomenon of witch trials 
in the early modern period, which took place also in Europe. Many of the accusers were children, and children can be incredibly vicious in their cruelty, but they exhibit what they see in their elders also. Suffice it to say that many, if not all, accusations of witchcraft in these witch hunts was false, and had other underlying causes for them. The Northern Moravian Witch Trials, also known as Boblig Witch Trials after the judge, was a series of witch trials which occurred in the area of present-day Czech Republic between 1622 and 1696. They are among the largest and most well-known witch trials in the history of the country. The Northern Moravian Witch Trials are considered to be part of the Catholic Counter-Reformation. The Bohemians, the people that lived in the area, were unwilling to abandon their Protestant religion after Bohemia had been taken by Austria during the Thirty Years' War. There was also great opposition to the social oppression of farmers under the landlords. This caused rebellions, such as the one of 1659 to 1662, led by Christoph Winter, Mikolas Patzold, and Jan Jaski. Jesuit priest Arnold Engel was the first person who had pointed to the alleged witch practices in North Moravia. In order to draw attention of Emperor Leopold I, he wrote a special memorandum describing alleged public mocking of Catholics by Protestants. In his pamphlet, Engel refers also to the, quote, flourishing of the art of witchcraft and evil. He notes that so many dead men who didn't die in good faith, but had connections with the devil, are getting up from their graves and cause heavy damages to both the residents and their livestock. Really, zombies as well as witches. Witch trials were otherwise uncommon in Bohemia and Moravia. The first witch trials occurred in Jesenik in 1622, when four women were executed. In 1636, the first great hunt erupted and lasted until 1648. The number executed has been lost, but is considered to have been great. In 1651, 86 people were executed for witchcraft. 250 people are estimated to have been executed for this charge in the first period of 1622 to 1651. In 1667, another 16 were burned in Radebor. They occurred mainly in present-day Silesia and in the Principality of Nisa. At Easter of 1678, Marie Shuhova from Vernerovice attended church, and during the Mass she was observed taking the bread of communion from her mouth and putting it in her prayer book. This was the starting point of the witch trials. The local aristocrat, Countess Angelia Anna Sabila of Gala, was advised to form a witch commission. Retired Inquisition judge, now that should tell you something, Retired Inquisition Judge Jendrik Frantisek Boblig was recommended as the judge and head of the commission. Boblig was to become a well-known witch hunter. The Countess did not initially approve of torture. By displaying the torture devices for Shehova, 
she pointed out the midwife Dorota Grurova, who in her turn pointed out Dorota Davidova, who had wanted the communion to use for a spell, which would give the cows more milk. Boblig now convinced the countess that torture was necessary, and after this, torture was much used. The accused were stripped, and the devil's mark was searched for. In 1679, Maria Shuhova and three other women were burned at the stake. One, David Ova, had died in prison, but her corpse was burned all the same. Boblig and his commission continued his work and was rumored to be driven by economic reasons. He turned to the city Schumperk, where many wealthy families lived. Kaspar Sattler and his wife Marie were among those found guilty by him. Without going into great detail about this particular subject, I will just say that the persecutions continued for 18 years, until the death of Boblik in 1696. About 100 people were estimated to have been executed in the 1678 to 1696 witch craze. The Torsaker witch trials took place in 1675 in Torsaker Parish in Sweden and were the largest witch trials in Swedish history. The trials began when Johannes Watrangius of Torsaker Parish told Laurentius Christofori Horneus to investigate witchcraft in his parish in the Diocese of Hernesand of the Lutheran Church of Sweden. Horneus was zealous in his work. By the time his task was complete, 71 people had been beheaded and burned in a single day. 65 of those were women, which was roughly one-fifth of all the women in the region. The witch trial reached Torsaker as a result and a consequence of the great wave of witch hysteria, which had begun to flourish over Sweden after the trial caused by Gertrude Svendotter against Marette Jean's daughter in Delarna in 1668. Sweden did not have separation of church and state, causing state-employed Lutheran priests to abide by government instructions. These Lutheran priests were ordered to use their sermons to inform their congregations of the crimes committed. Thus, the rumor of the witches spread over the country, where witch hunts had earlier been a rarity. Horneus was ordered to perform an investigation by order of the special commission, which had been created to deal with the suddenly erupted witch craze. The priest had two boys stand at the door of the church to identify the witches by an invisible mark on their forehead as they came in. On one occasion, one of these boys pointed out the wife of the priest himself, Britta Rufina. People gasped, but she, as she told her grandson who wrote down the story, then slapped the boy, and he quickly apologized when he saw who he had pointed at and said he had been blinded by the sun. Horneus was a priest with a terrifying reputation. The witnesses of the witch trial were mostly children, as the main accusations of the witches was that they had abducted children on the Sabbath of Satan, and Horneus had several methods to get them to give the testimony he wanted. He whipped them, 
He bathed the children in the ice cold water of a hole in the ice in the lakes during winter. And he put them in an oven, showed them the fuel, and pretended that he would light the fire in the oven and boil them. His grandson, who wrote down the story in 1735, after it was dictated by his grandmother, Britta Rufina, was quoted as saying, I remember some of these witnesses who, by these methods, were in lack of health for the rest of their lives. He adds that children were still, 60 years later, afraid to go near the house where his grandfather had lived. On 15 October of 1674, the witch trial of Torsaker opened. About 100 people of both sexes were accused by the children. Even though this was the biggest witch trial in the country, the original documents of the trial are very small and of bad quality. The documents of 1674 simply state that the trial was very like the other trials and was very typical in every way, except for the large number of victims. This would mean that the prisoners were accused of abducting children to the Sabbath of Satan in Blockula. The best source for the trial is instead an account by the grandson of the priest who wrote down the story in 1735, 60 years later, dictated by his grandmother, who was almost herself accused. About 100 people were accused, but it is unclear how many were convicted and then executed or who were freed and not executed. Jens Herneus claims many of those convicted escaped and that some of the women were not executed because of pregnancy. The prisoners were kept in several different places in the village. They were given almost no food, but were allowed to receive food from their relatives. At the place of execution, the prisoners were decapitated away from the stakes so as not to drown the wood in blood and make it hard to light. And when they were dead, the families took off their clothes and lifted their bodies on the stakes, which were then lit and burned until they went out by themselves. The families of the executed then went home, and according to, to an eyewitness, they weren't showing any emotion, and it was as if they were completely numb. In Germany, they had the witch trials of Trier, they took place between 1581 and 1593, and they were perhaps the biggest witch trials in European history. They formed one of the four largest witch trials in Germany alongside the Fulda witch trials, the Würzburg witch trial, and the Bamberg witch trials. The persecutions started in the Diocese of Trier in 1581 and reached the city itself in 1587, where it was to lead to the death of about 368 people, and was as such perhaps the biggest mass execution in Europe in peacetime. This counts only those executed within the city itself, and the real number of executed people, counting also those executed in all the witch hunts within the diocese as a whole, was therefore even larger. The exact number of executions has never been established. A total of 1,000 has been suggested, but not confirmed. In 1581, Johann von Schoenenberg 
was appointed Archbishop of the Independent Diocese of Trier. Schoenenberg greatly admired the Order of the Jesuits, in which he was wonderfully addicted. He built them a college, and as a part of his efforts to demonstrate his convictions, he ordered the purging of three groups in society. First, he rooted out the Protestants, then the Jews, and then the witches. Three stereotypes of nonconformity to the Catholic Church. He was the one responsible for the massacres of Trier, which, because of his initiative, support, and patronage, became, quote, of an importance quite unique in the history of witchcraft, unquote. Between 1587 and 1593, 368 people were burned alive for sorcery in 22 villages. And in 1588, two villages were left with only one female inhabitant each. People of both sexes, all ages, all classes were victims. Among the victims, 108 were men, women, and children of the nobility, and also people with positions in the government and administration. So the accusations weren't based on, oh, you don't have any money, or you have property I want, so I'm going to steal it from you by accusing you of being a witch. It was everybody was being accused. The mass executions caused the population to shrink, <laughs> really. And the executioner prospered economically, described as riding about on a fine horse, like a nobleman of the court, dressed in silver and gold, while his wife vied with noble women in dress and luxury. At last, though the flames were still unsated, the people grew impoverished, rules were made and enforced, restricting the fees and cost of examinations and examiners, and suddenly, as when war funds failed, the zeal of the persecutors died out. The Basque witch trials of the 17th century represent the last serious attempt at rooting out witchcraft from Navarre by the Spanish Inquisition. Anytime I see Spanish Inquisition, I know it's not good. After a series of episodes erupting, during all the 16th century following the end of main military operations in the conquest of Iberian Navarre until 1524. The trial of the Basque witches began in January 1609 at Lagrano near Navarre, bordering on Basque territory. And we're talking a part of Spain that meets France. Pretty much. It was influenced by the background of similar persecutions conducted in bordering Laborde, French Basque country by Pierre de Lancre. Although the number executed were small by European standards, it was almost certainly the biggest single event of its kind in history in terms of people investigating. By the end, some 7,000 cases had been examined by the Inquisition. Belief in witches was actually quite low in Spain. It was never strong to start with and became weaker under the Visigothic law established by the Visigoths during their last century of rule in Spain and preserved by the Christian nations during most of the Middle Ages. According to said law, belief in supernatural phenomenon of any sort 
witches, fortune tellers, oracles, was a crime and a heresy in itself. The belief in witchcraft had survived, even though watered down, and only in the northernmost mountain regions of Galicia and the Basque country. The Spanish Inquisition was more inclined to persecute Protestants, conversos, which are baptized descendants of Jews and Moors, and those who illegally smuggled banned books into Spain. As far back as 1538, the Council of Inquisition had warned judges not to believe all they read in Malleus Maleficarum, the infamous witch-finding text in March 1610, Antonio Venegas de Foguero, the Bishop of Pamplona, sent a letter to the Inquisition in which he claimed that the witch hunt was based on lies and self-delusion and that there had been little knowledge of witchcraft in the region before the outset of the trials. Contrary to the usual picture of the Inquisition, ready to believe all and every confession of wrongdoing, educated Spaniards were usually skeptical of witchcraft and considered it a northern or Protestant superstition. Salazar, the youngest judge in a panel of three, was also skeptical about the whole thing, saying that he found no substantive proof of witchcraft on his travels, in spite of the manifold confessions. More than that, he questioned the whole basis of the trials. Because of this disagreement on how to proceed, the matter had to be referred to the Inquisitor General in Madrid. The senior judges, Alonso Becerra y Holquín, and Juan del Valle Alvarado went so far as to accuse their colleague of being in league with the devil. The Inquisitor General appeared to share his view that confession and accusation on their own were not enough. For some time, the central office of the Inquisition had been skeptical about claims of magic and witchcraft and had only sanctioned the earlier burnings with considerable reluctance. In August of 1614, it ruled that all of the trials pending at Lagrano should be dismissed. At the same time, it issued new and more rigorous rules of evidence that brought witch burning in Spain to an end, long before in the Protestant North. The background and circumstances leading to the events unleashed are not unknown to us if we dismiss the magical and the esoteric. In a wider context of religious persecution, and conflict in all of Europe, the Catholic Church, and it's not wholly to blame, the Catholic Church aimed at suppressing old popular customs and ways, such as hunting witches, that could contend against and question official ideology and manners. In the Basque country, where the language provided a stronger shelter for old semi-pagan beliefs and against the Church's authority and control, midwives and herbalists played an important role. Besides holding a social status and carrying a popular wisdom that just did not go well with the authorities. The so-called Sabbaths and Akalaras may have been meetings just out of reach of the official religious and civil authorities. Those who attended the meetings would eat, drink, talk, dance, sometimes all night long in the forest or in caves, at times consuming mind-altering herbs and ointments. 
And that's not so unheard of even in today's time. So, in looking back, were the witch hunts a phrase in use a lot lately in this diverse political climate and witch trials really only about ferreting out evil and removing witches from society? In the minds of people who were accustomed to a certain religiously zealous view, perhaps it was. To others who saw benefit in using that same religiosity to better their circumstances over the backs of others they would be at odds with, it was a way to do so within the norms of their decent society. And we still have those types around today. Hey folks, if you're new to Terry's Mysterious Moments, drop me a line. Let me know if you like the show or not. Uh, you can contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments on Facebook or at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Well, that's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Be with me next week as we come back with another story or another group of stories for Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, which is listener stories that Aaron tells, mostly ghost stories. On Tuesdays, we have Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show, where he reviews horror movies, different books, uh, things that he's written. Wednesdays, it's me, Terry's Mysterious Moments, with me, Terry from Texas, where we cover just about anything you can think of. We also have video productions on the first Friday of the month from Full Dark Productions, from The Witching Hour, and from Unexplained Cases. Also remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have an Apple or an Android, you can go to your app store, look for the RPA app. It's a black square with a blue eye right in the middle of it. You can't miss it. And you can download that app, install it into the device you listen to the programs on, and that way you will not have to go looking for the programs. They'll be right there. Do that. It'll be a lot easier for you to get to the stories. That's about it. I hope everybody has a good week. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye. Thank you.